and welcome to Fresh Pressed for February 16th, 2021. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and also grooves. Just just new tunes and also grooves? That's it? No, it's just not even an attempt there, huh? I, I mean, there's just, like, what the, f- what, <laughs> what could I possibly say? I don't know. It's a pretty weird theme to come up with an adjective for. Anyway, uh, the theme this week, dear listeners, is fruits that pair well with chocolate, which, uh, well, okay, so it's Valentine's Day this past Sunday, right? So, you know, like, chocolate and fruit go together, and they go together especially on Valentine's Day, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cardi B had a had a viral tweet of her homemade chocolate strawberries that looked absolutely terrible. Wow, I didn't see that, but that makes sense. Cardi B is a great rapper. I I don't know about her skills elsewhere. Not a good chocolate temperer, it seems. That is a difficult to acquire skill, so we'll cut her some slack. Um, And I think maybe we also came up with this theme because there was an ongoing discussion about which fruits best pair with chocolate in some other realm of our lives so yeah i mean the the answer is raspberries but we weren't gonna bring prince yeah although yeah although although i guess i mean we can pivot it's not like we need to take five minutes to listen to the song and as a reminder it's still February, which means it's still Black History Month, which means our theme songs are exclusively from Black artists this month. And with no further ado, Andrew, tell us about your song. This is For the Figs, and it's by Mary Lou Williams. So, Mary Lou Williams. I mean, we all know who Mary Lou Williams is. Um, and by we all, I mean Gabe and I both know who Mary yes. Lou Williams is. <laughs> um, she is a jazz pianist, as I'm sure you could also tell from that first from that first clip. And she's pretty widely known as one of the first like majorly successful on a, on a large scale women in jazz and also just like one of the the most influential and best jazz pianists. Yeah, just just one of the best. So she was born Mary Elfrida Scruggs, which honestly, that's a pretty good name. But when was she born? 1910. Yeah, but you can't go into show business in 1930 with that sort of name, you know? That's a great well, name if you were going to be a jazz musician now. Mm, that's true. But here's the thing, Gabe. She didn't go into show business in 1930. She went to show business about 1922. Oh, <laughs> damn. Let, or younger. Um, she started performing publicly at the age of seven. Wow. Yeah, she taught herself piano at age three. She taught herself piano? She taught herself piano at the age of three. Wow. Same. And when she was six... I this this story is like not well explained in this in this NPR profile, but I guess I could have looked up the original interview. But when she was six, she went to her neighbors' home, her white neighbors' homes, 
to play piano concerts and she was doing that because it was going it was getting them to stop throwing bricks through her her window wow that's very sad yeah but i also don't get why that worked and if it did work why isn't there a movie about it listen hollywood when are we getting a movie about mary lou williams coming this fall to a theater near you, which you won't go to, but maybe we'll also release it on HBO Max. Um, anyway, by the time she was 15, she was like fully a full-time musician. Um, she was playing with Duke Ellington when she was 12. When she was 17, she married the saxophonist John Overton Williams, and that is when her name became Mary Lou Williams. She was pivotal you know, shaping this the sound of jazz throughout the 20th century, honestly, because she started in in the 20s, and she was playing through until she died in 81. So she also taught a bunch of other jazz musicians, like collaborated with them and also instructed them because she was an incredible musician. So she instructed, you know, people like Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah. Yeah. She taught them how jazz work. Before we get to the actual song itself, one last tidbit, which is personally relevant. Um, mm-hmm. Mary Lou Williams ended up teaching for a time at Duke University, where I went to school, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. And also, uh, for those listeners who also attended that university, you may recognize the Mary Lou Center, which is the Center for Black Life on cam- campus. Uh, yeah, named for her. So that's cool. Very cool. So this song, For the Figs, don't know what it's about, why it's called For the Figs. Is that, uh, are those actual figs? Are those, is that a, a, a reference to something? My Alexa just made a noise in the background. Do figs pair well with chocolate? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Anyway, don't know why the song is called this, but uh, it's a good song. This is the last track on her 1971 album, From the Heart. And uh, one of the things that I, I think is is really impressive about this performance and just like all kinds of really incredible jazz piano, especially of this kind of style, is that it's really, I mean, look, I'm sure you're going to argue and come up with a counterexample, but I feel like it's the one instrument that can really sound like the whole band. Uh, why would, how, how could I argue with that? Well, I don't know. I just thought you would. I didn't. If if I could think of your arguments, then I wouldn't have said it. I mean, isn't that just true? There's like not that. I many think in- so. There's not that many jazz instruments that you can play multiple notes on. The piano is a remarkable instrument because you can play the harmony at the same time that you're also playing the melody. Yes, we we are agreed that you can play more than one note on a piano at one time. But what I really mean is like it's not just you can play the melody and the harmony. It's also the way that you play it, if you play it well, it can it can feel as full as a full combo with various melodic instruments, various harmonic instruments, various percussive instruments. Like it, it's the whole whole thing, and I think that you can hear that here, where it's not just like she's playing chords in her left hand and she's playing notes in her right hand. The way that she's playing it also gives it like a, a makes the rhythm an active part of of the performance in a way that I think is is unique to the piano and unique to very good jazz pianists. This is true. And also part 
of what helps is that the piano is an instrument with a very immediate attack. Mm -hmm. And as are most jazz instruments, right? You don't have many strings in jazz. And when they are, they're played in the kind of the horn style, which is very... Well, you might argue you have quite a few strings inside a piano. One of the notes I took down is that this song is like almost danceable, speaking of rhythm. Yeah, I think that is true. There's there's a lot of great moments where like, I mean, it it's moving the whole time, but there's a lot of great moments where she just stops for like half a second. And I feel like that's just to like trip up people who are trying to dance to it. Yeah, there's all this like interrupted phrasing where she'll mm-hmm. like play a line and like then not necessarily in the same key or like time then switch over to another line. And it works phenomenally well from a musical perspective, but it would be hard to dance to, but you like want to dance to it, yeah. which is very confusing. Right. And if you like, I mean, obviously this would never work because you would have to just practice to this one recording, but you could like look really fucking cool if you dance right to it. If you like stop at the moments that she stops, you know? Yeah. Like if you were like a jazz dancer. Yes. Yeah, I guess you could do it for performance, not for just, like, a chill, like, oh, hey, guess what's on the radio? It's For the Figs by Mary Lou Williams. I guess I'll just dance to it. So this isn't exactly stride piano, but... Mary Lou Williams is originally known as a stride piano player, although obviously her style broadened significantly. So maybe, Andrew, remind people what stride piano is. So stride piano is a style of jazz piano that we talked about with Thelonious Monk, which was maybe last February. I don't remember when I brought that Monk song, but it was a long time ago. That is chiefly characterized by the left-hand movement that it is basically striding up and down the piano. You're like playing a bass note and a, and a chord sort of in the middle of the piano and going back and forth with the left hand while the right hand is, you know, doing its stuff at the top of the piano, all the melody stuff. You're right that this is not really stride, if, for one thing, because it is, uh, it's just like, it's a little too fast to even like, to parse it as stride, but you can tell that she is really making big left hand leaps in there. Um, and that's, again, part of what makes it feel like Part of what gives it that percussive is because you have to just sort of like physics wise, your hand has to move from this place to this place in this amount of time. So there's going to be this some amount of force in the landing on either end. And yeah, you're, you're, it's not it's not totally stride, but it, it has that influence. And uh, it reminds me in some ways of Thelonious Monk because of um, well, I, I think the more characteristic Monk stuff is slower than this. Yeah. And it's also a lot more spare than this, which I guess is connected. But Mary Lou Williams, does not, she doesn't shy away from hitting some like distances and some like notes right next to each other. And she's an incredible pianist. So it's not like she's like fucking up there, you know? No, there's no technical mistakes happening. That's her just like adding a little flavor to it, which is a classic monk thing is doing that and only that and like making that the star of the show doing like one bass note really low and then just two keys right next to each other up in the middle and making you listen to that but i think what mary lou williams does here is she just incorporates that 
in into all of the other thousand things that she's doing with the piano. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> Gabe, I'm not here to yuck your yum, but I don't really want to have chocolate and a banana peel. Okay, that's fair. Chocolate and a banana peel would be weird, but chocolate-covered bananas are delicious, particularly in the summertime. But you're right, because this is Banana Peel Blues from KMD off their 1991 debut record, Mr. Hood. Yeah, this here's a blues joint. A lot of brothers don't like this joint. Cause it might not be funk or funky. It's more tribal. Speaking yeah. on the only two real tribes out there now. Uh-huh. So with the help of the cause, of course, y'all with me? Yeah. Alright. Yeah. So we're finna build upon the banana peel blues. So KMD was a hip-hop trio, graffiti crew, breakdance team, assorted group formed in Long Beach, New York in the late 80s. Um, It consisted primarily of three people when this record came out. Um, So that was Daniel Dumoulin. um, Heard of him. Who goes by Zevlove X. Or more recently, well, for the last... 25 years, people have known him as M.F. Doom. His brother, Diginziwile Dumile, who goes by DG, DJ Subrock, and Alonzo Hodge, uh, going by Onyx the Birthstone Kid. That's a good, like, Which that's a. Is amazing. That's so good. It's a weird name, but it's really good. Yeah. So that's KMD, which does stand for. Things, the two things that it stands for are causing much damage Mm -hmm. and a positive cause in a much damaged society. Now, one of those happened first, I think. And then they were like, but what if we made it a different thing and added twice as many words in there? Yeah, I think that they probably started as the first one, but as they're as they made their music, they realized that doesn't really fit. This is not NWA, right? Right, yeah. This record, Mr. Hood, is their first record. It's their only full length that was released before DJ Subrock was killed um, in 1993 um, after being hit by a car on the freeway. Damn. And this is where MF Doom got his start as a musician and rapper um, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, he sadly passed away last year. So I thought it would be nice to to bring back some of his really early music that people may be less familiar with. This is him, right? Like, this is him yeah. doing this whole song. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. As Zev Love X, he is performing this whole song. And the backing voices are, are the other members of the trio. <laughs> How much more evidence do the citizens need? How much more evidence do the citizens need? 
so I think this is a really cool album in general uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, I think it's a great, from like a historical perspective, it's it's a really cool transitionary album between a lot of the hip hop or proto hip hop of like the seventies and eighties. Like you remember, like when we talked about Gil Scott Heron, um, you could hear a lot of Gil Scott Heron in this album. Mm-hmm. Also a New Yorker, so it all ties together. Um, and then transitioning to like NWA of the '90s and uh, a lot of those like harder, a lot of those like harder raps styles that came out um, with creative production in the backing. Mm-hmm. This song is, I think, a good example of the album of like the ethos of the group, which was very race conscious, like in a very explicit way. Right, the whole album is about race politics, um, but it's presented like sort of it is in this song in a fun and comical way. <laughs> yeah, like true. obviously the message here is very serious, but like there's also a lot of humor in the background. So. So the name of the album is Mr. Hood, and Mr. Hood is a character on the album who is like the whitest white guy you know. <laughs> like the whole record opens with Mr. Hood in a pawn shop talking to to MF Doom and to Zev Love X, making fun of those differences. And also, I think Bert from Sesame Street appears on a couple songs. Now, is that a was that condoned by? Was that a licensed appearance? By what? Like by Jim Henson? Yeah. Yeah, probably not would be my <laughs> guess there. The story of the group is pretty sad, right? Like, um, so MF Doom's brother, who's DJ Subrock, ended up dying before their second album was released, which was even more like intense and race forward and graphic. And then they were promptly dropped by the label. And basically, MF Doom disappeared from like public life entirely for like most of the rest of the 90s. Then like reappearing basically as this masked figure, which really gives it a superhero vibe. I've been listening to a lot of them. I've been watching a lot of the Marvel movies. And, you know, obviously MF Doom is sort of based off the Doctor Doom character from Fantastic Four, but sort of. Only a little bit. Yeah, well, okay, fine, entirely. <laughs> you know, the whole, like, you're a star, and then your brother dies, and then you disappear and go into, I mean, not hiding, but, you know, you disappear for five years, and then you come back as, like, this masked figure who ends up becoming wildly important to hip-hop and critically very successful. I was I was just reading that when when he was, like, coming back, he would be he did a bunch of just like incognito freestyles at open mics at the New Yorican, um, which is a, a cafe in, in alphabet city in, in Manhattan. And this whole thing really does, does feel like if you asked me to put it in a genre, I'd be like, I guess it's hip hop, but I would definitely say hip hop and I wouldn't say rap. And also I would really say that this is actually like spoken word. This is, this is slam poetry. With, like, every part of it. It is this whole vibe with, like, there's, like, responses and stuff. It's it's as if I were there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cause one said to remember that the soul is see-through Our truth will soon see as I check to what's written Check the script Let's see Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 And became a living soul So where's my man getting this actual force? Probably that same old can Or a barrel of monkeys who call me and you a soul man And call my food a soul food yeah, I'm supposed to have soul, yet I'm uncivil and cruel And I come from apes, yet this monkey rapes And I'm a baboon, then soon to be cool And when I know this, I'm labeled a lunatic, racist, rough Andrew, it looks like we got a couple of EPs for new music We do, we do, we do, we do um, And you're on the all caps train this week, huh? I am uh, This is a song by the band Toledo, in all caps And it's off their new EP, Jockeys of Love. This is the last track. It's called Neater. As in, one who needs. As in. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Bread? One who needs bread? No. Well, I mean, yes. Oh. We all need bread. One who needs somebody. Yes. Oh, Oh, God. The title of the song is N-E-E. Capital N, lowercase e, lowercase e, lowercase d, lowercase e, lowercase r. Okay, thank you for clarifying. So this is uh, Toledo's second EP. They have not yet had a full-length album, but I am greatly looking forward to when they do have a full-length album. They are uh, a duo, Dan Alvarez de Toledo and Jordan Dunn Pills. What? 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 That's their name? Those are their names. Jordan Dunn Pills? Yeah. Wow. That's a crazy name to have. Now, okay, I see how I'm looking at it. It's D-U-N-N, like, hyphen P-I-L-Z. Oh, I see, I see. Never mind. <laughs> it's not like, it's. I assume it's his real name. Oh, it's uh, not like still, still kind of Jordan Dunn Pills. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's Pilts? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They are like childhood best friends. Um, they're about our age. Like they're they're their mid twenties. They were really good friends as children. Um, they're from Brooklyn, not from Toledo. Um, I really adore this EP. I think it's just gorgeous. There's a warmth to it. We haven't mentioned the phrase "sound burrito" uh, recently on the podcast, but I think this gets us back to it. Just just the way the timbre of all of these instruments. It just like wraps you up in warmth. Some sometimes we talk about Gabe songs on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I I just like to say yeah that in terms of Andrew music, this really nails it. Yeah, it does. I don't know how to describe the feeling that I get from this. I feel like I'm half asleep on laying on a couch, and it's like daytime, and I feel like I have spent the Maybe I like didn't sleep well and woke up really early because I was feeling really anxious. And now I'm sort of coming down off of that and like falling back to sleep on the couch at like 1 p.m. 
You know what I mean? Um, this this a the, the thing that you're describing is a particularly Andrew experience in life, and not something mm-hmm. that I do often. But I also know exactly what you mean. It, it feels hazy. Yeah, like you're slipping towards a dream. But there's still, it's not just like it's not totally tranquil. There are still some layers of. I don't, I just want to keep saying anxiety, sort of sort of swirling around it, um, and yet you are still slowly falling asleep. Yeah, I think that's right. I miss it, the taste of the night of I want it so the, the moment that made this song, that made me choose this song, was the second chorus where a couple things happen. First of all, I just love that the way the, the melody of the chorus is sung. I actually don't know which one of them is singing. I could find like inf- things, people talking about their instrumental stuff, but I, I can't, I'm not sure which that one of them is singing. It doesn't matter. I, I just love the, the way that the, the whole song and especially the chorus is sung. But in the second chorus specifically is where first the drums come in like really in earnest, which is gorgeous. And then also there are these beautiful guitar figures that sort of sparkle and in and weave in and out of the and around the vocals. That is it's just excellent. I love it. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about this song, and maybe this is a weird thing to pick out, but the clarity of the snare hits is what I have written down here to mention. Wow. They're really mixed so that you you they're not like clouded by anything else. You just hear the snare at the moment that the snare gets hit. It's a really nice snare sound. And it's just so if it just feels like like if we if we go with that image of like falling asleep on the couch, that's like the one thing that is not in the haze. It's the one thing that sticks out of the haze. And yet it doesn't stick out of it and like jolt you out of that half reverie that you're in. It sort of is the one thing that is anchoring you and keeping you in this liminal space between uh, sleeping and waking. Gabe, you've also selected the last track on an EP from this week. Yes, and also this should be, well, at least according to Stereo Gum, this should be your favorite band ever, I think. We'll get there, though. This is Painted Gold, which is the last track of the Painted Gold EP from Snacking. saying this should be my favorite because i like to eat snacks yep we all know how much andrew is a snacker 
And so, therefore, Andrew must love the band Snacking. Just like how Andrew likes really heavy balloons, and so he's very into Led Zeppelin, naturally. Uh, wow, I couldn't do any better than that. Okay. Yeah. Let's move you on. Really, yeah, huh. Um, so could this even is also... pick, like, you could even, like, pick a band that I actually care about. Uh... You just picked, like, one of the most famous bands. What you should have said was, like, he really likes insects, so he likes the Beatles. <clears throat> he likes rocks to fall down a hill. <laughs> now, nah, where was I? I have no fucking clue. Snacking. This is their second EP. Another second EP. Yeah, and also no full length, so we're eagerly awaiting one of those as well. Um, This band... Hails from St. Petersburg, Florida, which is interesting for me because I've recently made a number of friends in that area, including, I think, some who listen to this podcast. Um, And I asked if anybody knew the band because I imagine that they're still one of these bands that's mostly local. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are no affirmative responses. However, in response to a picture of the band, one of my friends said that, uh, I don't know these men, but I have definitely drank an overpriced beverage in their vicinity before. (laughs) Great. Which I think is hilarious. And before we get to the song itself and the music, I just want to read what Stereo Gum had to say about this band, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Imagine Death Cab for Cutie if Ben Gibbard's vocals was swapped out for someone a bit heartier, like Slaughter Beach Dog's Jake Ewald. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's like written... On, Jesus I looked Christ. Up, like, I found the song, and I was like, oh, this is really good. I'm going to bring this. And then I was, like, trying to look up things about the band because I couldn't find any of their names anywhere. Um, and stumbled across this, like, small stereo gum blurb, and I was like, ah, I see. Um, I did find their first names and maybe some other last names, but we're only going to do first names um, because, I don't know, it's really hard to find things about bands sometimes when they haven't done a lot yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Jacob, John, Mike, Ryan, and Taco. Taco. Yeah, it's T A K O. Oh, like octopus. What? It's Japanese for octopus. Oh, I forgot. You know all the Japanese sea creatures. This is just a perfect end of the EP song. And a perfect end of the night song. Yeah. Where you're feeling a little bit sad and bummed out. You've had a little bit to drink, but you're coming down. And this song comes on, and you're like, yeah, that's the one. And now the the actual lyrics of the song are, it's calling for one more drink. So alluding to that same feeling. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think what's remarkable is not only that it alludes to that feeling, but then captures it in like a perfectly like emo way. I see them described often as Midwest emo, even though they're from Florida. But also there was somebody on their band camp who was like, I don't know how these guys managed to capture a snowy night in London when they're from Florida. So they're very, this is a <laughs> universal feeling is what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, I imagine that this was written a while ago because this song seems to take place at the new year and probably not new year 2021, where I don't, I don't recall a lot of clinking happening. But the other thing that this song does being released in February of 2021 is really, like, not only 
does it summon this feeling of like the end of the night? Mm-hmm. But also it makes me miss that feeling. Yeah. Like if I listened to it a year ago, I'd be like, oh yes, this feeling. I know it well. And what a great song. But now it's like also like has its own poignant nostalgia to it because like <laughs> we haven't done this thing in like a year. Yeah. Don't waste your time in wondering how we got so Both the the like no chorus and instead extended guitar solo and uh, you know talking about getting old and home, the idea of like this glittering goodness that's like just a facade. It's like listen, this is a classic, a classic trope in especially our brand of indie music. Yeah, I think the guitar solo is gorgeous. It's not like virtuosic. It's just no, but it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect, right? It like captures the feeling. Yeah, I that's what I was going to say is that I think another similarity between our two very similar new tunes that we've selected this week is that they both have like a moment in there where it gets real, which for mine was that it's that second chorus where the drums and and the that guitar figure comes in and for yours it's everything sort of stops, but then that guitar solo comes in, and that's when it really, it just feels right. Yeah. I, I just think this entire EP is lovely. Um, the vocals are great. The band's good. Uh, and you should check out Snacking. Andrew, other good music from this week? Lots. Um, I really loved an album by Annika Pyle called Wild River. It mixes poetry and music in a really lovely way. Uh, a great record called Three Little Words from Dominique Fils-Amé. Am I pronouncing that right? Fils-Amé. Okay. Fils-Amé, um, who does like a jazzy like Etta James style modernized vocals. Yeah, it was really cool. Very good. Claude put out Super Monster. That is mm. their debut LP and also the debut LP on Saddest Factory, which is Phoebe Bridger's imprint on Dead Oceans. So that was cool. Um, There was like a pop punky fun album in my vein called Who Am I? from pale waves there was an album by ariel east called try harder um which was a cool little indie album and also okay kaya is on it so that was cool oh cool andrew there's an album i thought you would really like called grief museum by hotels on mars i did like it yeah yeah it just like uh indie folk country blends with steel guitars and 
I'm sad. Hence the name. There was a uh, cool album by Stephen Van Betten and Andrew Rowan called No Branches Without Trees. Maybe it's an EP. It's pretty short. But anyway, it's really cool. R plus R equals now put out a live record. And what's the title of that record, Gabe? Uh, R plus R equals now live. Gotcha. Very creatively. Cool. Um, which, if you're not familiar with the group, it's led by piano player Robert Glasper. But it's like a jazz super group. Um, and their recorded stuff is excellent, and this live stuff is... I just think jazz live is the best kind of jazz. It's really good. Blast from the past. Honestly, I think the new Clap Your Hands Say Yeah album, which is entitled New Fragility, is very good. It's pretty good. Yeah. And that is our show for the week. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod. There is a Spotify playlist with all our picks from the year, um, and that is in the show notes. Andrew and I will be back on February 23rd. But until then, my name is Gabe. My name is Andrew. And you have been listening to Fresh Press. And welcome to Fresh Press for February 16th, 2020. My name is... Oh, God, that's not the year. Shit. <laughs>